How many are ready to get in the Word this morning? We're going to get into the Word. How many are excited to get into the message? The last two messages have been a little punchy, amen? Now we're going to get into some good, really, uh, still, you know, hey, we're preaching the Word. It just is what it is. And we got some good stuff this morning. Lord, I pray over the message this morning. Let it infiltrate our hearts and minds. Lord, I pray that this would not be a message we just hear and forget, but it would stay with us. It would stick with us. Lord, I thank you for those who are here, those who are watching online. Lord, that your spirit would speak to them and speak to them clearly. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we looked at Stephen. He was the first martyr of the faith, right? We witnessed how in speaking truth to power, he became a target of the religious leaders. In witnessing this, we are introduced to the man named Saul. Now, it's important to note that in this study, in this, uh, this series, is not a specific study in the book of Acts. We're not going verse by verse like we do some other books. But it is a study of the beginning of Christianity, the beginning of the church, the beginning of what we call the ecclesia. How does it apply to us today? So we may skip over large chunks of Acts, but we don't want to miss the moments that speak directly to this study, okay? So as we get into Acts chapter 8, we see the end of the account of Stephen and what leads, what it leads to in the early church. It says this in Acts chapter 8, starting verse 1. It says, and Saul approved of his execution. That's Stephen. Saul approved of it. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered, say scattered, throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Verse 3 says, But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Verse 4 says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the Word. Earlier in Acts, we saw Jesus direct them to be His witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, right? That's what Jesus directed them and us to do. But until now, they weren't doing that. Until now, they just weren't doing that. They were stuck in Jerusalem. They were preaching to those around them. They weren't really going out into Judea, Samaria, the different parts of the earth. Now they are being scattered. And wherever they go, say wherever they go, they are preaching Jesus. Wherever they go, they are sharing about what He has done in their lives and for them. We could say that this sudden outpouring of the Gospel was a result of the death of Stephen that the death of Stephen was the catalyst for the scattering. That was wrong as it was, right? We, we understand that it was wrong for them to do that to Stephen. But God took what was intended for evil and used it for good. Amen? God is in the habit of that. God has a fantastic habit of taking what is evil and using it for good in our lives. Amen? How many have ever seen God do that in your life? I have. Keep in mind that these were not, as one commentator put it, professional preachers. 
These weren't those who made preaching their profession, but rather they were referred to as accidental missionaries. This means they didn't go to school for it. They didn't have any training for it. They simply experienced Christ and went about sharing it wherever they went. How many, maybe you don't have training for it, maybe you don't have schooling for it, but you've experienced Christ. And when you experience Christ, you go to everybody and you want to share what you've experienced. This presents an important truth in our Christian faith. And it's this. David Guzik says it this way, and I like this. We can be just like these early Christians. We can share the good news of what Jesus has done in our lives. Most people don't come to Jesus through a professional preacher or an evangelist. They come to Jesus through people just like us. They don't come through a pastor a lot of times. They don't come through an evangelist. They come through you. They come through personal relationships. Remember, remember last week I shared the sobering statistic that only 37% of people who identify as Christian shared their faith last year. And mostly, they only shared it one time. But I also shared that my hope for this church is that those stats are wrong, amen, and that we are much more outspoken about our Savior and King that we love and adore and we serve, right? The truth is, your friends and relatives, most of them will not come to Christ through me. They will come through you. Most of the people that you work with, most of the people that you love will not come to Christ through me they will come through you. So you plant the seed and you water the seed. And a lot of times I'm there for the harvest and that's fantastic, but it's your crop. How many, we understand farming around here, right? You plant the seed, you water the seed. Sometimes you're there for the harvest, but it's your crop. It's your testimony of Christ in your life that moved them towards an eternal decision. And so because you shared your testimony of what Christ has done in your life, they come to Christ. Some of you are here today and you don't recognize the eternal impact you have in your neighborhood and at your job and in your office. And I mean truly the eternal impact. You say, Pastor David, I can't stand the people I work with. They just bug me. They get to me. I don't know what to do. How many, how many have ever been in that situation? How many have ever been the one they're talking about? Right? That's been me many times. <laughs> they bug me. They annoy me. We have to understand the eternal impact that we can have on those around us. When we understand the eternal impact, we might view them differently. We might look at them through new eyes. My job as a pastor is to teach and minister and guide you so that you may minister to those around you. Amen? And most of the impact you have is made through relationships. Say relationships. You say, well, Pastor David, all I did was invite them to church. Yes. But in doing so, you showed a care for their soul. 
But Pastor David, I mean, all I did was do this and do that. Yeah, but in, in doing that, you showed them a care for their soul. One pastor said it this way. A lot of people don't care how much you know. They, want, they just want to know how much you care. As believers, many times, they don't care about what you know. Well, I can quote the Bible. I can quote this, 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 and this. Well, let me tell you by reference point exactly what the Bible says about this. And they leave there just going, what? They don't care how much you know a lot of times. All they want to know is, when I was down, when I was hurt, when I was in chaos, when my life was in tragedy, did they reach out to me? Did they wrap their arms around me? Did they pray for me? And many times, more than what you know, that is what has the eternal impact. Did they love me? One pastor said this, and I, and I really pray he was saying it in a kind of a facetious way. He said, ministry would be great if it wasn't for people. And I really, I really, I mean, I think he was just being joking, you know, and things like that. But the truth is this, that ministry is all about people, right? Ministry is about people. Christ's ministry on this earth was for people. Remember, God hates sin and loves people. Amen? Somebody say amen. Come on. God hates sin and loves people. When you lose the heart for people, and I want to say this clearly, you say, I just can't stand people. There's some people that, that say that. Man, people just bother me. When you lose God's heart for people, you lose God's heart. If you don't love people, if you can't see yourself reaching out to people, you have lost the heart of God. The truth is this, you need to find a place to repent and you need to pray for God to revive you in your spiritual life. If you don't love people, you have lost the heart of God. How many know it's easy to get worn out by people? Right? They hey, how many know they I mean honestly, they annoy you, they frustrate you, they anger you. They may cause you to want to punch them in the face. Right? And that's probably just your pastor. How many know people sometimes annoy you? Doreen, are you ever annoyed by anybody? I think you, you people need to wake up this morning. I know it's dreary outside. Mike, you ever been annoyed by anybody? On occasion. Have you ever been annoying to anybody? On occasion. Jolene, how do you feel about that? Yeah, accurate? Okay. I mean, no, there's times where people tend to bug us. People tend to, I mean, honestly, wear us out. And a lot of times, what do we do? I mean, we put up with it for a while, right? How many just drop them? How many just drop them? I want nothing to do with you. This person is causing me trouble. I don't need that negativity in my life. I have to have self-care. That's the new thing now. Everybody has to have self-care. Everybody has to take care of self. I get it. You don't want negativity in your life? I understand that. 
I don't need the trouble. In fact, I don't want their friendship. I've heard Christians specifically say, you know what, they can go to hell. And you say, Pastor David, that's strong language. Yeah, that's a strong position. That when we've lost the heart of people to such an extent that we just say, oh, yeah, they can just go. The truth is that when you fully remove yourself from people, you are also fully removing the opportunity you have to minister to people. Well, Pastor David, they just, I mean, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. What am I supposed to do? Am I just supposed to live with it? I mean, it's toxic to me. It's toxic to my family, and I just can't deal with it. And the truth is this. I understand. How many know there are toxic people in this world? You may have toxic people in your life, and you need to stay away from them. But does that mean that you have to stop ministering to them? No. Matthew 5, 43 through 45 says this. Jesus told us this. He says this. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. You see, you may have safeguarded yourself from the toxicity of that person. You may have safeguarded yourself from the harm of that person. But sometimes we need to be reminded, myself included, that our very worst enemy is still made in the image of God. And that just like Jesus Christ died for us, He died for them. Even though they may no longer be a constant part of your life for health and safety reasons, and I understand those reasons. We are still called to love and pray for them. Amen? How many know it's not easy? That's not easy, right? It's not. It takes a lot for us to swallow our pride and swallow our anger and swallow our hatred and look at people through the eyes of Christ. It takes a lot for us to do that. Pastor David, how can I do that? Really, I mean... Tell me, how can I do that? Well, let's first remember and recognize that Christ did it for us when we were enemies of His. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. It's in those frustrating times with those frustrating people we need to remember the cross of Christ. Amen? In those really frustrating times, we need to remind ourselves of the blood and what it did for us and what it can do for them, right? We say, oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. She doesn't like my singing. That's okay. 
Oh, the blood of Jesus, it washes white as snow. Not just for me and you, right? But for those who persecute us, those who seemingly hate us, those who are toxic in our lives. No, I'm just going to drop them. When you drop them, you stop having the opportunity to minister to them. Do you put yourself in harm's way? No. Do you put yourself in a place to be hurt by them again? No. But you pray for them. You minister to them. And we love them. Amen? Amen. That's, that's a tough thing. We live in a real world, right? Come on, we're not, we're not sugarcoating this. That can be a tough thing for a lot of people. You don't understand what they did to me. Love them. You don't understand what they said about me. Pray for them. You don't understand how they hurt me. Remember the cross and remember the blood. Amen? Amen. We're going to move on in Acts chapter 4, or Acts chapter 8, sorry. We're going to look at verse 4 as we are introduced to the man named Philip. Say Philip. It says this in verse 4 of Acts chapter 8. It says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord, say one accord, they paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. How many can understand why there was so much joy in that city? People were being healed. People were being delivered. People were coming to Christ. There was much joy in that city. This man, Philip, is an interesting man. Like Stephen before him, he was one of the seven called as a deacon. But he was also an evangelist. Say evangelist. Now, in case you're not aware of what an evangelist may be, it is one that is not called as a pastor or not called to one place, but is called to primarily preach Christ to different regions around the world. Sometimes in a specific region, but normally kind of everywhere. There is a special anointing upon him to draw unbelievers to Christ. Amen? How many have ever seen an evangelist? How many ever see Billy Graham? Billy Graham's an evangelist. He was an evangelist. Now his son Franklin Graham is an evangelist. A special anointing to draw unbelievers to Christ. And the truth is this. I just asked the question, how many have ever seen an evangelist? If you've seen an evangelist, raise your hand. How many have ever seen a mirror? If you've seen a mirror, raise your hand. Oh, wow, a lot bigger response there. How many know that we are called to do the work of evangelism? We are called to do the work of evangelist. That is, we are called to preach Christ to others. Amen? That's what we're called to do. Are, are we dead this morning? What's going on? 
How many know we're called to, to, to be witnesses of Christ, right? Is this a Lutheran church this morning? What is going on? Honestly, come on. How many know that we are called to be witnesses of what Jesus Christ has done for us in our life? Amen? Listen, there are those who preach the gospel in various regions and they do it as a profession. Of course, Billy Graham would be one of the most famous, right? But the first evangelist we hear about is in Acts and his name is Philip. He is one who is called to preach Christ. In Acts chapter 8, verse 26, Philip receives instruction from the Lord about where to go and who to preach to. He says this in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south of the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. There is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was, as he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Philip is on a mission from God to go and evangelize. Amen? This is awesome. He, he gets to go. When he comes to the road, he gets to the road. He sees this Ethiopian. He is a court official. In fact, he was in charge of the treasure of the queen. In case this escapes you, uh, there should be a clear understanding that this was a very important man. This was an incredibly important man. He was a powerful and rich man. He was a man of substance. He was sitting on a chariot. He didn't know Philip from Adam, and Philip didn't know him, but God had sent Philip for him. Amen? And we also know that this man is searching for God. We see that he is headed to temple. He is reading the Scriptures. He's reading Isaiah. He's hungry for truth. And here's what happens. Verse 29 says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the Scripture that he was reading was this. So this is what he was reading in the book of Isaiah. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. How many know that Scripture specifically is talking about Jesus Christ? And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask, does this prophet say this? About himself? Or is he talking about somebody else? Let's pause here and say that this man is primed. He is searching and he is ready for answers. He is searching for truth and now Philip shares it with him. And he says this in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were coming along the road, they saw some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. 
Philip preaches Christ to this man with such effectiveness that the man wants to be baptized right away. He sees water. He says, man, let's get baptized. How many know we do baptism here, right? In the summer, we'll do baptism for those who want to do it again, or not again, but for the first time. And it's always a great time where we come and, and we put them under water and, and we get to hold them there for a while. It's... How many know that baptism is a reflection of what Christ has done in our life? That He has brought us from death to life. This eunuch is, is driving down the road. With, he says, stop, there's water right there. Let me be baptized. Let me show outwardly what has happened inwardly. God had sent Philip on a mission. He has fulfilled it. And now something astonishing happens. Verse 39 says this. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Say, carried away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Verse 40 says, but Philip found himself at Azotus. Say, Azotus. This is another city. This is another region. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. In case you're missing this, let me explain it to you plainly. God sent Philip to preach this to this Ethiopian, right? The Ethiopian comes to Jesus and Philip baptizes him. When they come out of the water, Philip miraculously travels by the Spirit and found himself in Azotus, which is 30 miles away from where he was ministering to the Ethiopian. 30 miles away. And you say, well, Pastor David, how long did it take? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know the exact moment of how long it takes, but it seems here that what we see is an amazing miracle. Was it the speed of light, thought? There's some speculation. Is that how we're going to be able to travel later on in the future? I'm going to Doug's house. Doug, I need to borrow this. Doug says, no. <laughs> We don't know exactly how much time it took, but how many know that's a miracle? It's theorized that he traveled at the speed of thought. Let's just say it this way. Wherever God had him to go, he got there quickly. Amen? Wherever God had him to go, he got there quick. Now, that may be the end of the account, but that is not the end of the sermon. The end of the sermon calls for us to look at something even more astonishing that a lot of times I think as pastors and as believers, we might overlook. Jenny, could you come and play? How many know that from the beginning of the church, the beginning of Ecclesia, there's been a couple of sermons, and some of those sermons have been very effective. Peter's sermon at Pentecost had seen thousands come to Christ, right? He saw 3,000 people, first sermon. Second sermon, 5,000 people. Because remember, God is in the business of people, amen? How do we know God is in the business of people? Stand with me this morning.
know God loves people. We saw Peter preach, 3,000 saved. The next sermon, 5,000 saved. And the reason we can know that God loves people is because God sent Philip to a desert road from Jerusalem to Gaza not to minister to thousands but to one I want you to think about that this morning this one man sitting alone reading Isaiah he's searching for God and God sends Philip maybe you came to Christ among many people Maybe you came to Christ among five, ten, maybe hundreds of people. I don't know. Or maybe you were just one. Maybe you were just one and, and God sent someone to talk to you about Jesus. How awesome is that? That's the heart of our God. When we talk about him leaving the 99 to get the one. That's the heart of Jesus. It's why God sent Jesus to the cross. He shed his precious blood to be saved so that we could be saved. Amen? If you would, bow your heads. Maybe you're here today or maybe you're listening today and you are like that man. You are like that lone man sitting on a road searching for truth. The truth is this, Jesus is your answer. My encouragement today is that you have the opportunity to turn from the death of your sin to find true life in Christ. If you're here today and you're listening or you're watching today and you're listening, please take the time to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I need you to save me. I can't do this on my own. It's only because of the blood that you shed on the cross. Forgive me of my sin and lead me to repentance. May my life be used for your glory from this day forward. I acknowledge you as king and as master of my life. I pray that your spirit would fill me so that I may serve and follow you well. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 If you prayed that prayer, if you're here or you watched online, reach out to me. I have a gift for you. We want to bless you. For all of us here, one more time. I pray the Lord would bless you. I pray the Lord would keep you. I pray that he would cause his face to shine down upon you. And Lord, I pray that you would give us rest during this season of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Enjoy your Memorial Day with family. Remember the sacrifice. And we will see you next week.